This is Front Page. We here at Front Page, we do our best to dig out the truth and bring it to you. Hello, all you freedom-loving people. Welcome to Front Page Podcast. I'm your host, Scott Cameron Goulet. Negotiations broke down over the weekend despite multiple efforts to try and reach a new ceasefire between Israel and Hamas to exchange more hostages. There's also more evidence that in the Gaza Strip, in addition to the Hamas militants, many others in various capacities have been involved in the terrorist attacks against Israel and not even the United Nations agencies are exempt from this evidence. Over the decades, Hamas has also come up with a set of propaganda tactics to deceive the world and to gain sympathy and support. But there comes a time when the bad deeds are exposed. The Biden administration is under pressure to give Israel its full support this time. But while external pressure is easy to deal with, domestic pressure, especially from the Democratic voters, will be a test for Biden. Is it unconstitutional for a government department to require social media companies to censor users' speech? The Supreme Court will begin its deliberations today. So the Biden administration has quietly withdrawn its request for Facebook to regulate user speech. The Ohio GOP became the first state for the GOP to publicly endorse President Trump's re-election. Okay, let's get into it. The seven-day temporary truce between Israel and Hamas has expired without an extension of the truce. On Friday, the war in Gaza resumed. Both sides blame each other for the resumption of fighting. The Israeli military says that Hamas violated the ceasefire, failing to release all female and child hostages. And Hamas began firing rockets into Israel before the truce ended. Hamas accused Israel of violating the ceasefire agreement by preventing fuel supplies from reaching northern Gaza. But during the week of the truce, about 200 trucks entered Gaza every day. So Hamas's claim cannot be verified. Last week's ceasefire agreement was extended twice, resulting in a total of seven days of truce. On Friday, the Biden administration, Arab allies, and some factions of the Israeli government pushed for another and longer pause to continue hostage releases. By Saturday, Israel's Prime Minister's office said that talks in the Qatari capital of Doha had reached an impasse. Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu therefore ordered David Barnia, the head of Israel's intelligence agency Mossad, and his team to return from Qatar. Israel accuses Hamas of refusing to release all female hostages. The Israeli Prime Minister's office said in a statement, Hamas did not fulfill its part of the agreement, which included the release of all children and women according to a list that was forwarded to Hamas and approved by it. A Palestinian official said that the failure to extend the ceasefire was largely due to the breakdown of negotiations between the two sides over the release of Israeli female hostages. The talks broke down on Saturday because Israel insisted that Hamas release a group of female hostages, but Hamas refused. Israeli and U.S. officials believe that Hamas continues to hold a number of female hostages between the ages of 20 and 30, many of whom were abducted from the music festival. Hamas has maintained that some of the remaining female hostages are part of the Israeli Defense Forces, but Israel has denied this claim. Because of the deadlock in talks on the release of female hostages, Hamas pushed 
for the start of talks on the release of male hostages, possibly on different terms, but Israel has rejected the offer, insisting that all female hostages must be released first. French President Emmanuel Macron said on Saturday that he would travel to Qatar to help launch a new truce. Also on Saturday, the IDF said that they found dozens of Hamas missiles hidden under the facility of the United Nations Relief and Works Agency for Palestinian Refugees in the Near East. Israeli media reported that the Israel 261st Brigade units discovered and confiscated dozens of missiles with different capabilities and approximately 30 grad rockets under the facility. Video of the find was posted on social media. The soldier in the video explains that the home where the rockets were found is in a neighborhood in Gaza City. The rockets found are short-range rockets of the Grad variety capable of traveling about 10 kilometers and likely used to target the Israeli city of Ashkelon. In addition, in the Gaza Strip, the line between civilians and Hamas militants is sometimes blurred. The hostages who were first to be released by Hamas during last week's ceasefire have given the outside world more insight into what Hamas is up to in Gaza in interviews they've given. Many of the hostages were held in underground tunnels for the past 50 days or so, but one of the released hostages said that he had been held in the attic of a house, and the attic is actually owned by a teacher at the United Nations Relief and Works Agency for Palestine Refugees in the Near East. He is also the father of 10 children. There's also a hostage being held by a Gazan doctor. More hostages who were released said that when they were first taken to Gaza, they were also beaten by ordinary Gazan civilians. This also confirms what we analyzed in our membership site that under the control of Hamas, the whole of Gaza, including the UN agencies, medical workers, NGOs, and even many civilians there have participated in or have helped Hamas in this terrorist attack. In the time before this evidence broke, the media around the world, whether it was the BBC, CNN, or the New York Times, and other major media outlets, have been quoting and paraphrasing statements made by people in the Hamas Ministry of Health and the United Nations Relief and Works Agency for Palestine Refugees in the Near East. And a great deal of those statements have now been proven to be disinformation. For this reason, the BBC and the New York Times have apologized several times. After resumption of the Hamas-Israeli fighting, Israel has continued to conduct airstrikes on Hamas strongholds in Gaza and to conduct ground operations. As it is done, Hamas has begun to accuse the world of how many civilians and babies have been injured by Israeli fire. It has also released videos of grieving Palestinians holding their babies who have been killed by the bombing. But this time, Hamas was so careless that they forgot to obscure the baby's face, so everyone was shocked to find out that the woman was actually holding a plastic doll in her arms. Let's take a look at Hamas's propaganda. There's also a clip of a man who appears to be a father holding a plastic doll and complaining about something. And it's easy to guess that the object of his complaint must be Israeli soldiers. And the people surrounding him, especially the children, 
had the exact same expression of watching the crew make a movie. Our exposure of Hamas's deceptive propaganda does not mean that all those injured by Israel's military action are deserving of it. No war can guarantee to not cause innocent casualties. We wish for the safety of all the good and innocent people of the Gaza area. Hamas also asked the hostages who have been held for over 50 days to smile when they are released and to write thank you notes to thank Hamas. The hostages released so far are women and children. This means that there's a good chance that at least one hostage from their family is still being held. So do we really think that the released hostages will genuinely thank Hamas? Similar to Hamas, the Chinese Communist Party, the CCP, uses coercion to demand that persecuted people write thank you letters to thank their persecutors. Agnes Chow, a Hong Kong pro-democracy activist who is now studying in Canada, announced on Sunday that she would abandon her bail that she paid in Hong Kong and she will not be returning to Hong Kong for trial. Chow was one of the most prominent faces of the city's pro-democracy movement. She was even nicknamed the real Mulan. She was jailed in 2020 for taking part in the anti-government protests of 2019. In 2020, she was featured on the BBC 100 Women list, which names 100 influential and inspirational women from around the world every year. And they tell the stories of these extraordinary women. She was released in 2021, but she is still under investigation for collusion with foreign forces to endanger national security. So her passport was also seized by the police. In September of this year, the police returned her passport to her because she had been accepted by a Canadian university to study for a master's degree. At the same time, she was asked to return to Hong Kong and report to the police at the end of December. In her IG statement, she said that she made the decision because she didn't want to be forced to do things that she didn't want to do anymore. In the summer, in order to get her passport back, she had to go on a police escorted trip to mainland China in August with five police officers, a trip she had no right to refuse. She wrote, I felt as though I was under surveillance the whole time. She was arranged to visit an exhibition of China's achievements since the reform and opening up of the country since the late 1970s, as well as the headquarters of the technology firm Tencent, where she was asked to pose for photos. She also wrote, if I stay silent, those pictures might one day become evidence of my patriotism. That fear is so tangible. After the trip to China, upon her return to Hong Kong, she was also asked to sign a letter expressing repentance for all her past political acts. And she was asked to thank the police for organizing the trip. She said she did not know what would happen if she went back to Hong Kong this time. Will her passport be withdrawn? Will she ever be able to go back to Canada? What will the police want? Will she have to go to mainland China? After much consideration of Hong Kong's situation about her personal safety and her physical and mental health, she made the decision to stay in Canada. Chow wrote, maybe I won't return to Hong Kong for the rest of my life. Muslim leaders 
from several swing states met on Saturday in suburban Detroit and they vowed to withdraw their support for President Joe Biden. They are unhappy with his handling of the Gaza Strip conflict. During a press conference in Michigan, about a dozen leaders from swing states vowed not to vote for Biden. While some of the leaders delivered a warning to Biden to change his stance, others said that Biden had already lost their votes. Tarek Min from Milwaukee, Wisconsin said, you won by 20,000 votes, we will change the vote. We will swing it and we won't be standing with you this upcoming election. Another leader, Hazim Nasardim from Arizona said, Biden only won by 10,500 votes and the U.S. Policy and Immigration Center at UC San Diego, as well as Arizona State, estimate that there are over 25,000 Muslim voters in the state of Arizona, and I will work day and night to ensure that those voters abandon Biden this election. Hassan Sibley, an attorney and Muslim American leader from Florida, said, we will do everything in our power to make sure Biden does not get the critical swing state of Florida. This is a major problem for Biden. If he agrees to a ceasefire, as the Muslims are demanding, he will obviously lose the support of another group of wealthy Jews who are the main funders of the Democratic Party, as well as the votes of the center voters. It should be said, that the Biden administration was not wrong to give Israel its full support this time. The problem is that for the last few decades, and especially at the start of the Obama administration's massive intake of Muslim immigrants, they have created the complexity of today's situation. The Ohio Republican Party announced on Friday that they are endorsing President Trump to run for president again in 2024. Ohio Republican Party Chair, Alex Triantafilo said in a press statement, President Trump has proven time and again that despite the unhinged and reckless attacks from the radical left, he will never give up on fighting for Ohio's workers, business, and families. Triantafilo said that President Trump's leadership and his commitment to practicing America first is exactly what the state's Republican Party needs if it hopes to reverse the failed policies of the Democrats. Triantafilo also said in his statement, while we appreciate all of the Republican candidates who are passionately making their case to the American people, it is clear that President Trump is the right choice in this moment. The Ohio Republican Party is the first state GOP to date to endorse President Trump's 2024 campaign. It announced its decision after a meeting in Columbus, the state capital. It made its decision based on background information, including, among other things, number one, President Trump is currently on track to beat Joe Biden in 2024, according to the Real Clear Politics polling average. Number two, Based on the Real Clear Politics polling average, President Trump is leading the Republican candidates by nearly 50 points. Number three, President Trump won Ohio by a wide margin in both the 2016 and 2020 presidential elections. And number four, among Ohio voters, President Trump is clearly the favorite for the 2024 presidential election. According to Meta's latest report, the Biden administration is no longer warning Facebook 
about foreign interference in election type messages. In its latest quarterly adversarial threat report that was released in November, Meta confirmed that the U.S. federal government has stopped sharing information related to foreign election interference threats since July. July was also the time of a landmark ruling by Judge Terry A. Dowdy of the District Court of the Western District of Louisiana. The ruling prohibited various federal agencies from contacting social media companies and requiring them to censor free speech on their platforms. The, re the revised ban prohibits the Biden administration from taking action to coerce or strongly encourage social media companies to take down or otherwise suppress certain posts. The ruling narrows the scope of government agencies subject to the restrictions to a handful of entities, namely the White House, the Surgeon General, the CDC, and the FBI. However, the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Disease, the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Administration, and the U.S. Department of State, which was included in Judge Dowdy's original order, was excluded from the appeals court. The Department of Justice appealed the decision to the U.S. Supreme Court, the Supreme Court's decision to hear the case in today's session will set off a legal battle that will have a major impact on online speech. Okay, this is our podcast for today. Thank you again for listening to Front Page Podcast. For more exclusive in-depth content, please go to frontpageshow.com.